0: Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost.
1: Hey there, I'm your host, Shelley Prevost. Hey, so Chad, have you heard that the world of work is changing?
0: You know, I think I've seen it blazoned across a few trade show booths. Um, Yeah, I've seen it on a few commercials. Yeah, it's
1: a thing. It is changing quite a bit you know, like it or not. And I think most of us probably would agree that we like it. I think uh, the way we work probably needs some changing. So this is a good thing. The majority of the conversations about the world of work changing often ignores what we think is the most critical part of it, which is the inner work.
0: Yep. We use the term do the work and inner work a lot. And we thought we'd define it in crystal clear terms.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's important to say what we mean when we say inner work. And not only that, but how, how to do inner work that leads to the results that you're looking for.
0: That's right. It's not just rainbows and daisies.
1: And it's not woo-woo. It's not mystical chants. I don't know, dancing around statues. I don't know. uh, It sounds kind of fun though. (laughs) (laughs) A different day, sweetheart. A different day. Yeah. So that's what we want to talk about today. We want to explain and kind of discuss our ideas around Inner work that really is a little bit countercultural. You know, it goes against what most most folks tend to prioritize, which are results, the behaviors, the outside effects. Um, and so, yeah, we want to we want to dig into this a little bit today.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, to say that our culture prizes the outer uh, and that the outer reality seem, is. The only reality is an understatement, right? I mean, look at the places where our culture, you know, puts its money down, which is where we show that we value something. CEOs who make tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars annually, Hmm. the multi-billionaires, Paying the elite athletes tens of millions of dollars annually to perform on the field. You know, and you see, you see, I'll see these advertisements from young startup leaders sort of like hitching up their belts like cowboys, making fun of having people having morning routines because, hey, that's not getting things done. You know, it's all about hustling. So, you know, by contrast, you hear a lot of leaders and coaches and people who have learned through trial and tribulation that you have to do the inner work first. But what is the inner work?
1: Yeah. And I, I would say though, you know, I, I, I think that what we tend to do is, is overemphasize kind of the, uh, the results that you're talking about at the expense of really understanding the inner work, that possibly some of those folks really did to get to where they are. So I don't want to demonize the results. I don't want to say that or vilify people that have wealth and success, because I think a lot of them have, or some of them, I'll say that, have probably done a lot of interesting work, good work, some self-reflection, some understanding to get where they are. Is there privilege? Absolutely. Do we tend to only look at those results? Yes, we do. Uh, but I also don't want to to demonize results because I think they can coexist. You know, I think people can do really good work on themselves, and then that does lead to some. Obviously, we believe that because that's why we teach that. That yeah, when you start right. with the inner work, you're creating kind of a runway, a sustainable runway to see the results that you're looking for.
0: Yes, and a lot of the great leaders that we see and know about have in fact done, for one way or another, a lot of inner work because it, surprisingly enough, leadership is a very personal journey where if you really are leading, you do end up learning a lot about yourself Mm -hmm. and probably often the hard way. But yes, in fact, that is what we're talking about. We're defining our terms. What Mm -hmm. is, what does the inner work mean? And in fact, how does it lead to, to results? The results that we say that we want in the world.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's very messy <laughs> to talk about inner work, um, and especially in a world where that's metric driven, that wants to measure things, that wants to, you know, what you... What you uh, value, what you regard, you measure, and, sp- and especially in workplaces, and you know they have to they have to live and die in some sense by those metrics. Um, I remember when you know years ago I was just joining um, Lamp Post, kind of you know the the venture firm, and I was brought in to essentially be their in-house psychologist, for lack of a better word, to help with. Um, you know, the emotional work, the relational work of a lot of the, the founding teams. And I had one partner sit me down at, in front of a whiteboard and he wrote deliverables on the whiteboard. And he, I, w- I think I'd been there like, I don't know, three weeks maybe. And he was really pressing me to define my deliverables, you know, the metrics by which I would be measured and therefore, you know, in my mind, valued. If I couldn't figure out what my deliverables were, then I'd really um, didn't really. I, I believed I didn't have a place there, or like any value that I was bringing. And I, it stressed me out so much. And to this day, we laugh about it about the deliverable conversation and how I had no idea how to answer that because it is really messy work to try to come up with how do you measure inner work and I still don't I don't know that you can Um, I think it's incredibly subjective I would say it's for me it's spiritual work but I think what we can do is look at how does it impact um, the outcomes that you say you want in your life the results you say you want in your life Um, Mm -hmm. and the inner work the way that I think about it for myself I think about it with clients I work with is that it is it is creating sustainability for the results that you want in your life. And so instead of just leapfrogging the inner work or bypassing it to get the results, you're actually like cultivating something deeper and truer and more meaningful for yourself so that when you get to the results, There there's purpose there, there's happiness there, there's health. And so the way you get to the outer results um, is really what meets you when you get there. And so that's why the inner work I think can be so much more sustainable, so much more enjoyable when you actually are like thinking, okay, not just what am I doing or how am I getting there, what are the results, but what are the motivations why am i doing this work why am i showing up this way so when you do the deeper work of understanding your motivations that's a lot of what i mean by inner work
0: and that brings up as we lead into defining the inner work at the very beginning when i'm setting up like what we're view where we put our money is what we value we are going through i think a shift in our culture of what we prize of of the enlightenment this the scientific revolution where we were working through reality objective reality as we saw it mainly through our thinking and our minds that we're going through a shift where people are recognizing that there is a subjectivity there is an inner reality that is also a reality. And what you were going through maybe 10 years ago, Shelley, even over the past 10 years, this shift we are seeing has begun to be happen, happening. But I do think that it is hard work. It's hard work. For whatever reasons we could venture to speculate, people resist going Inward for a lot of reasons of which we're going to explore some possibilities in this episode. Hmm. Carl Jung famously said, People will do anything, no matter how absurd, to avoid facing their own souls. Hmm.
1: I love that. I think that's so true. And I even like look at times in my life where things were unraveling and not working, (laughs) like the results were not. Mm. what I wanted. Um, and I think all the machinations that I went through and I, you know, and still go through to really avoid looking inside. Um, and, and often for me, it's less about, I don't like what I'll find and more about, I don't know what to, what I want it, what I need to do with it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Like it's a powerless feeling to really do go inward and see like, okay, I don't like something, and I want to go about changing it, but I don't always know how to do that. Um, so I think that the the first stage of step of that is going inward, is looking at yourself. Um, and then through some time and patience, and for me, um, mentorship, guidance, then I, over time, can figure out what to do with it. But that first step is often the hardest. And that is, um, realizing that your answers are all inside you.
0: So three inner work definitions that we have been working on that we've found kind of been putting together. You can tell us what you like the most. Here is the Inner work definition, I think that works in a lot of ways first. Inner work is any form of deliberate and ongoing reflective practice that increases awareness of self, others, and the systems in which complex social problems arise.
1: I like that. Um, I think that covers a lot.
0: (laughs) In one sentence. Yeah, it is
1: self, it is others, and it is systems that we all kind of function in. Um, And really, I think the inner work really stops with the pause. You know, the the pause of like, instead of just jumping into action here or going forth to force what I want to happen, I'm going to pause and I'm going to reflect. Um, And I do think that's probably the core of what we're talking about is just that little break and then going like, what's going on for me, other people, and then how are we all creating this dynamic in this system? Okay. The second definition.
0: When I think of spiritual work and I'm really going inward and I'm, I'm focusing with my body, mind, and emotions... I'm confronted with the self more in essence and less in personality. Mm. And that is like when I become aware of myself separated from those things, from my thoughts, they're not me, from my personality structure, it's not me, from my opinions, my culture, mm. those aren't me. Then I begin to be confronted by this essence, this sense, this, who is this voice that speaks to me as (laughs) if, and that, that is more the ineffable and that sense of this is spiritual, a (laughs) spiritual experience. And that's what I mean. It's not in the head. It's in the full sense of how we define the self.
1: Yeah, mine's similar. I think of psychological inner work as um, cognitions and emotions mostly, like really understanding our thoughts, thought patterns, beliefs, mindsets, and then emotional work. You know, really looking at what are these emotional patterns that. You know, trigger me, trip me up. How do I get hooked? Like, what what emotions do I tend to gravitate toward? Um, and I think psychological inner work is healing trauma, is yeah. really looking at you know the wounding that happened to us through families of origin, through relationships. Like all of that is psychological work, and is important work. And then we also talk a lot about spiritual work. And for me, it's the idea of self remembering, which I think is what you're talking about. That. You Gurdjieff know, uses we, that term. Yeah, Gurdjief, a lot of our Enneagram teachers, I'm learning about it in the diamond approach. Um, but this kind of um, centering, you know, that your being, capital B, is not your thoughts and emotional patterns, your trauma, your triggering. Like all of that is your experience of being in this world, but that spiritually, you know, at our core. What we call big self is there's something much more true happening, and that's you know the spiritual practice of getting in touch with that every day is how you self remember, and that is, um, in my opinion, that is that work is really the power of inner work is being in the present moment, um, surrendering, settling, resting in who you really are instead of all the the trappings that come with you in this you know in the world that you're living in. Okay.
0: That's great stuff right there. Our third definition of inner work that we like is inner work is shaping your emotions, beliefs and attitudes to create a healthier and happier version of yourself. It's about adjusting and correcting your mindset so that it helps you better facilitate your goals.
1: Yeah, and this is the bulk of the work we do with clients, right? It's really, it is around attitudes, mindsets, patterns, um, unconscious patterns, things that we aren't even completely aware of and how they sabotage us and, and, and burn us out. You know, that's really what we focus on. So it is that kind of psychological inner work that we facilitate and then there's this whole Other world of spiritual inner work that for people that are ready and want it and desire it, uh, we love doing that with them as well.
0: Yeah, a lot of times uh, what I like about this definition as well is that it is about helping you at the end of this definition facilitate your goals and I think that, you know, a lot of bottom line experiences, we're living in the world right now, and we have reports due, and we have uh, children, you know, who crying in the background perhaps, and you have to engage with the world and and still get things done. And so there is inner work to be done right th- there.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the different pieces. We've mentioned them a little bit, so maybe we could just dive a little bit more deeply. Um, the first one that we really think of is is around mental, the mental inner work, the thinking inner work, uh, really looking at thought patterns and mindsets. And you do have some um, inter- an interesting take on language. And how you've been really talking about that recently, how what we say and how we say it, yeah. and the stories we tell, really can shape our reality. So do you want to talk
0: about that? Oh, sure. I Yeah, I'm finding this a fascinating new f- territory of learning for myself because it's one thing to talk about our thoughts and what's going on in, in the cognition uh, of our, the psychology. But when you hear yourself speak, so language is this tool that is singular to humans. And we're able to like organize colonies and we're able to wage war and we're able to organize entire civilizations through language and language. I've also been thinking about how language does not just describe something we generate, we generate our reality by what we say and it reveals your thinking to you. Mm -hmm. And as I've been observing this in myself and in you and people around me, I've been trying to discipline myself a little bit more about, do I really need to to generate a possible reality or outcome by saying something that I'm hearing myself say sounds a little negative? Hmm. Do I want that outcome to happen? Well, why am I saying it? Why am I potentially contributing to the shaping the possible reality mm-hmm. of that through language? So language is extremely powerful when we're speaking in these broad brushstrokes. strokes. Oh of our inner reality. Yeah,
1: I love that. Language does reveal our thoughts in a very clear way. So watching how you talk about yourself, about the world, about other people. I had a situation recently with, I was in the office. This was probably, I don't know, a week and a half ago and our landlord was there and he's just like, you know, hey, how you doing? And because we've been talking about language and kind of the inner work around thoughts and how our language shapes those things, our reality. I, re- I said instinctively, I said, oh, things are good, but you know, we're like going out of town this camp with this new camper and there's so much to do and I'm yeah. already behind and I don't know if everybody wants to go. And I later was like, why did I, why did I say it that way? Like, what is that about? Like, what part of my thinking was feeling negative or... Because I'm like, we we want this camper. Like, this is exciting for us. And I realized through inner work, through a little bit of unpacking, like what that was about, I have found myself at times using my language to diminish myself in order to make another person feel better. Wow. And so it was this process of why did I say that? Like what part of me, excuse me, in my thinking was coming out there that I need to examine because ultimately I don't really feel that way. And then through some reflection, I was like, that's what that's about. And I can catch myself doing it when I diminish myself Mm -hmm. in order to make another person feel better about themselves. Like like I can do it anyway. Like I'm that powerful.
0: <laughs> well, I can see and and I can see the justification saying being like, well, I'm trying to have an answer that's authentic or that isn't just all light and bubbly, and I'm just fine.
1: Yeah. You know well, for me though, it wasn't authentic. You know, authentic it, would it have been inter- like, yeah. this is really exciting, and we just got this camper, and we're really excited about going and. So, so, you know, there, that's just an example yeah. of how language can kind of reflect where our head's at.
0: Thanks for sharing that. That is an excellent example. I mean, similarly with language and not even spoken language, I remember during the years that I was uh, teaching a lot of composition and I would have, you know, students basically if they, they couldn't write very well most of the time, But it wasn't because of the tools necessarily. It was that it was reflecting their thinking. Mm -hmm. And if they weren't filled up with ideas, if they didn't read, then there's... Often the bare bones reality of your thoughts are revealed through your writing and your language. And so I would always be trying to get them to read, to give them thoughts and ideas to write. Mm -hmm. And then that became its own challenge. Mm
1: -hmm. The question I often, I encourage people to use when they're like to do some mental inner work is what's that about? (laughs)
0: Like as you see
1: yourself doing things you don't want to do or not doing things you do want to do or, you know, the friction, the tension that we feel sometimes, um, with inauthenticity or, you know, whatever the case may be, but stopping and asking yourself, what's that about that alone? I think is a really, it just, again, it creates a little bit of that pause, and it it can take like a nanosecond. Like inner work isn't something that you have to sit cross legged for thirty minutes in the morning, <laughs> breathing. And you know, it's just it's it's reflecting. It's like stopping, pausing, noticing. Oh, I just said that. That's saying something about what my thinking is right now. What's that about?
0: That that's great. And then go on with your day. Yeah. Uh, and and so really, what you're teaching us there is about observation. Yes. You're giving us some some uh, some tools for how to self-observe through our language. I really love that. Let's share this incredibly powerful quote by Marcus Aurelius about like about the power of the mind. It is in thy power whenever thou shalt choose to retire into thyself. For nowhere, either with more quiet or more freedom from trouble, does a man retire into his own soul, particularly when he has within him such thoughts that by looking into them, he is immediately in perfect tranquility. And I affirm that tranquility is nothing else than the good ordering of the mind. He was a stoic. I I want to
1: mention this because I think it's important as I think about the word tranquility, Um, I think that the really necessary and inner work is self-compassion, which I don't always do very well. But I think that the tranquility he's talking about comes through observing ourselves with compassion and and neutrality. It's like maybe not even compassion, but just neutral. Just saying like, Mm -hmm. I said that, Therefore, what's that about? I thought this. And so what? maybe what would I like to think instead? You know, that's a kind of a neutral way. But the tranquility, I think, is lost on a lot of people because we we tend to self-observe with judgment, uh, with, with harshness, with oughts and shoulds and musts and don'ts. And so I think the tranquility comes from the practice of doing this work a little bit more neutrally.
0: Wow, so that was a whole framework that. and wonderful stuff just around the idea of cognition. Let's uh let's hit on emotion, how we develop awareness of our emotions and then regulate them with less reactivity. That's an inner work discipline and it does shape our outer reality.
1: Yeah, and I think that the emotional inner work is similar to mental inner work. Um but of course it's the emotional landscape. Like it's really uh, observing how we're feeling, the emotions we're having and we've done a whole episode on emotions and we'll probably do more. Um uh, we believe that emotions are messengers and so really understanding okay, what's motivating that emotion? What's underneath that emotion? And giving yourself um, the time and space to really understand where the that feeling is coming from. And I want to say this too, because um, one of the myths of doing inner work is that you feel better, right? Is that you're improving. You're more integrated is the word people like to use. Well, I will say not always. In fact, it doesn't happen sequentially or in that linear kind of way. Mm-hmm. I, th- I see m- most of the time, if not all the time, we tend to feel a lot worse before we then begin to feel better. And certainly before we then integrate and learn from the emotions. So when you've spent you know, decades repressing a lot of emotions when you do start doing inner work with your emotions and start paying attention to it, it feels like crap. Yeah, <laughs> Like it does. It's like a wave of all of these emotions and you kind of can't figure out what's what. And that's why we use the emotions wheel. Um, so it does like, let's just completely bust that myth that it feels better and then, and I think that's why some people kind of shut down the inner work because they're like, this feels lousy. I don't want to keep doing this. And if you do yes. keep doing it and, and reflecting on the emotions and the patterns that go with them, you do start to come out on the other side, but not without some um, dark nights.
0: Myth-busting. I'm really glad that you took a moment to... Because I think in some ways that answers the Carl Jung quote too of you know, people will do even very absurd things to avoid having to confront that inner reality. I think it's important, too, for us to recognize a little bit of a difference between uh, emotionality and feelings. And this this guy, I don't think enough people know about him, but Edwin H Friedman, he was right. He he was writing in the 90s. He was ahead of his time. And actually, you're the one that referred that first book to me, and I really checked it out, and it was um, pretty amazing. He was writing about emotional dynamics within his the, the theory, the system series that he was working on. He had worked in all kinds uh, as a you know during doing leadership work from you know, military uh, organizations, nonprofits, hospitals, churches, all kinds of corporate settings, and he found these universal applications of dysfunction function within groups and even across cultures. And he was finding these recurring universal themes. And in this really classic book called failure, a failure of nerve, he writes that emotional is not equated with feelings, which are a later evolutionary development. While it does include feelings, the word refers primarily to the instinctual side of our species that we share in common with all other forms of life. Yeah. So, leadership is an emotionally charged process. It is, we have to be able to do this work to increase our self awareness. It's a part of what we mean by. The inner work. Finally, so, so, yeah. so
1: thinking about emotions as instinctual in some ways, I think that is helpful. I think that we do have um, these in- instincts that that arise in us that are emotional. The feelings, I think, are the meaning we ascribe to them, and probably the language we put to them. Um, they're a little bit more prolonged, perhaps, you know, instincts tend to have a pretty short shelf life. Um, so yeah, I think there's probably a, a good distinction there between the two that we could, we could talk about a whole lot longer.
0: Finally, speaking of these broad brushstrokes with what it means to do inner work, there's this other center that we better not forget. And that's our body. A lot of people talk about it as somatic work. How we develop awareness of what our sensations, you could also look at your outward behaviors, what they're telling us, and how we ground ourselves in presence is definitely an inner work discipline that shapes our outer reality. And honestly, you really this is why we talked about enemies of learning in a previous episode because you do have to put on your your lifelong learning hat and just be able to be a beginner. There's no right way to do your your breathing work. You just constantly do it and practice it and then get back to me in 30 years and let me know how it's been going.
1: Yeah, this is the one that I'm not great at. <laughs> When it comes to inner work around, like really reflecting around kind of the body, um, I remember coming out of Burnout and reading um, the story of La Loba, who is all yeah. about, she's the kind of the the mythical um, creature that breathes life into the bones of the wolf and then transforms that into the body of a woman who runs away laughing. And I just mm-hmm. remember like being so mystified by this, the way that, um, it's Clarissa, uh, Estes.
0: Yes. Pinkola Estes. Yes.
1: Um, the way she talks about kind of women's ways of knowing in the body. And I was like, that's so mysterious to me. (laughs) I need to learn about that. And Mm -hmm. I just remember reading the La Loba story and just bawling because I was like, I'm so disconnected from my body. And I think there is, um, that's kind of, uh, the mental and the emotional work. I feel like I do that and I understand it, but the body work, the, the stillness, um, the breathing, the being, the somatic feels very foreign to me. So therefore I know that's where my work is.
0: Hmm. I would have to say that I generally agree with that. I think that I I mean, in terms of agree with how that it also is similar with me needing to do more body work. Um, I'm just becoming more present and alive to it. And it is a huge territory for inner growth. I think that's the important takeaway. You all can identify where you feel like may, a lot of people in our culture shut themselves off to their emotions.
1: Yeah, I think it's the portal. In fact, oh, the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, the you know the the people that do yoga and do it so like consistently have that practice. Um, I do think it opens up some emotional and mental work. Uh, in ways that I probably don't understand because I don't do it consistently. So I do, I think there's a lot more there, certainly for you and I to understand. Um, but again, yeah, I think there's a lot of people that um, value the, the inner work through the body and we can just look at our yoga brothers and sisters, um, <laughs> the yogis that do it very well and learn from them.
0: Yeah, so uh, all of these ways, I think we need to like understand that you know while inner the inner work matters on the, with the people that you you work with, and if you're a manager or a leader, uh, it does matter that your employees are doing their inner work. But it does begin with you. You have to practice what you're going to preach. They will respond to you when you are doing the work, because it will show.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the value of it, I don't know that we've said this explicitly, but the value of doing the inner work is that you have your own inner compass. Um, and for me, that feels like calm. Uh, it feels like less reactive. Um, it feels like I have a little bit more emotional control because I'm not blindsided, by certain things, and and I directly hold my inner work uh, responsible for me being able to show up those way for for people. Um, and I can tell when I'm not doing it, I'm much more reactive, mm. much more frenetic. I have a shorter fuse. Um, I have less compassion for myself and for other people. So I think you know when we're talking about why it matters and the results, there you go.
0: Yeah, we will we we really wanted to define our terms and talk about what it means to do the inner work on this episode. It does result in lots of higher level thinking and problem solving which does lead to greater results, which we're going to hit in another podcast but for now i hope that you can recognize the different parts of your centers where the directions you could go to grow more and the value of it and that you've become a little bit more clear on what we mean by doing the inner work
1: And if you want to learn more about inner work, we do hope you'll reach out. We are both taking on coaching clients right now. And as we enter the holiday season, we have a typing package. So if you know somebody uh, or if you are interested in learning more about your Enneagram type and subtype and what to do with it, we would love to help you with that. Go to bigselfschool.com to learn more.